Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Hello, listeners. Thank you for joining us here at We Watched a Thing. As per usual, I'm Tofa. And I'm Billy. How are you, Billy? Don't ever ask me about my business, Tofa. See what you did Don't there. Don't ever ask me about my fucking business. All right, just this once. Just this once. I've been good, mate. How you been? <laughs> <laughs> I'm fine. Thank you. Been, um, been going to the movies a bunch and that kind of thing. Yeah, you went twice this weekend, yeah? What'd you get to? Uh, Roma, which I was really happy that randomly- the city we live in got a, a cinema release. Yeah, because that, that ahead was of its straight ne- to Netflix. Ahead yeah. of its Netflix release. Yeah, it's it's really bizarre sitting in a cinema and having the N come up. Yeah, right. And it comes up in black and white. It's all <laughs> it's, oh, it's, it's prestige. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then this morning I saw Can You Ever Forgive Me? And both films, excellent. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I've been meaning to get- I really want to check out both of those. Roma looks great. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, that's- this wouldn't be the- no, not the first time Netflix have done a cinema release. This year, Netflix employed a bunch of whoever it is you employ to help you with your awards push. Yep. Netflix kind of have assembled the dream team. And yeah, right. I think Roma is, I think, probably their first big, this is what they're all in on. Yeah. We are not talking about a new release this week. You kicked it into reverse and you said, mate, you have to watch this movie. And this would, like- this has been on your mind for a while. It's been, it's been on my watch list for a very, very, very long time. Presumably for as long as you've known about this film. In all my 30 years in Australia, I've been meaning to watch this movie. And I finally did. I watched The Godfather. And that's what we're going to talk about. It is. The Godfather is a 1972 American crime film directed by Francis Ford Coppola and written by Coppola and Mario Puzo, based on Puzo's novel of the same name. It stars Marlon Brando, Al Pacino, James Kahn, Robert Duvall, Richard Castellano, and Diane Keaton. And what's it about, Toph? It's about one of the big five New York crime families in the 40s, yeah. headed up by Vito Corleone, the a.k.a. Godfather. The Godfather. Don Corleone. Don Corleone. <laughs> exactly. Um, a character you may be familiar with. I, I was wondering, do you think he would be the most imitated film character ever? I think he'd be close, but I mean, it depends what- But you- clearly he's in the conversation. He, he's up there. He's up there. Like, as you, as someone who had not seen The Godfather, if someone does a Godfather, you know what they're doing. Oh, look, well, this is the thing, and this is part of why- Not why I hadn't got to it. I knew that I needed to watch this movie. But as we've spoken about with some other movies I haven't seen, you know so much about it that, you know, like, there was so little of this movie that I did not know about. Like, almost every beat I knew- it was coming, and because I knew the beats, you can also kind of see when they're happening as yeah. well. So there was very little surprise in the movie for me because it is such a giant part of pop culture. Yeah, something um, that did surprise me, which I didn't find out for years after I first saw the film, is that the book is not particularly highly regarded. It was kind of a pulpy. It was a hugely popular book, though. It was a giant bestseller, but not like a critical smash hit. That's no. my understanding. Yeah. This did, however, win uh, the Oscar for Best Adaptation that year. Uh, it also won Best Picture. It did indeed. And Best Lead Actor for Marlon Brando. Interesting that he was up for lead. Yeah, Bra- Brando winning for lead actor is a bit of category rigging, really, because Vito, like, I remember when when Beth first saw The Godfather, I remember her texting me mid-film going, wait, this movie's about Michael. Yeah. 
Which is why it was then interesting that Al Pacino was up for supporting yeah. actor. Rigged. Well, and supposedly that's why he didn't go to the ceremony. He was boycotting it because he was pissed for being up for supporting. Really? And did you know that Brando didn't attend either? Because he was eating? <laughs> no. Interestingly enough, he boycotted the Oscars that year because he felt that Hollywood had done wrong by Native Americans. So, he sent a Native American woman in his place to accept the award and basically say, Brando doesn't accept this award. Fuck you guys. And she was booed on the stage. I can't believe I didn't know that. I know. Amazing fact, isn't it? That is amazing. <laughs> yeah. Go Brando. Yeah. Represent. So, so, interestingly, you know, people talk about this being one of the few times that two actors have won for the same character. I don't know if it counts since Brando didn't accept the award. Of course, that is in reference to the fact that Bobby De Niro won the Oscar two years later for yeah. playing the young Vito Corleone. Which, which I had no idea until you told me about earlier in this week. I knew he was connected to The Godfather in some way. I was expecting him to pop up in this movie. You know, I was very shocked. So, how did you feel that your viewing experience of The Godfather played out? Because it's not like, let's let's just get this out of the way. You didn't exactly follow the Christopher Nolan model. I did in the end. Really? Fun fact, I have now seen the first half of this movie twice. <laughs> because, okay, and like, I, I, was, I was not holding this against you. Your personal life at the moment is not, it doesn't really lend itself to you having that many three-hour segments yes. of the week where you can just be like, I'm going to watch The Godfather. Yeah. So you were kind of watching it here and there and when you could. And like, it, it was killing me inside, but I was also <laughs> like, look- I, I don't have two young kids and a job and all these things to juggle that, that, yeah. that you do because, like, people don't want to talk to me. <laughs> <But> <laughs> yeah, so I had gotten about an hour and a half in, kind of watching a little bit haphazardly, a little bit, you know, I'd watched about a half an hour here, 45 minutes there. And my wife said to me yesterday afternoon, oh, have you started watching it? How is it? And I said, it's very, very good. Like, it's it's- it's really very good. It's, <laughs> it is definitely the best film that we've watched on this show. It's very, very it's, good. It's The Godfather. <laughs> and, and she had already been bummed that I had watched um, Shawshank Redemption without her earlier this year because she also had never seen it. And so she said, oh, I really want to watch The Godfather. So last night we, we sat down and we, we watched it cool. together and went from the start. So, yes, I did watch the whole thing in one sitting on a proper television screen, not half on my phone, half on my laptop. I'm pleased to hear it. <laughs> well, maybe we should talk about this movie then a bit. Maybe we should. I mean, it's The Godfather. Like, everyone knows this. There's no surprise. It, it is a very, 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 very good movie. Do I think it is the best film ever made, which is sometimes touted about this movie or certainly, you know, like there's no denying that this is a masterpiece of filmmaking and it is one of the most significant American films. Is it the best film ever made? No, but it's a really, really good movie. Do you agree with that? I do agree with that. I didn't like I subscribe. I boringly subscribe to Citizen Kane yes. as being the best film. But do I think that The Godfather is worth its place in that conversation? Yes, I do. Yeah, definitely. And I find The Godfather a more enjoyable film than Citizen Kane. Yeah, it, it is a surprisingly enjoyable watch. You know, like I, I was saying to my wife before we sat down and watched it, I said, yes, I, I'm only just halfway through and in most other movies I'd be nearly done. But it doesn't feel like it drags. It is a fairly fast moving film, particularly I think the first half. And yet the first, how long's the wedding? 28 minutes or something? Yeah. Yeah, and yet I would argue the best scene in the entire film. Yeah, like the I, I film really takes its time with the opening of the film, which is Vito's daughter's wedding. I actually do think that the longer the film goes, the less enjoyable it gets. 
I think after the halfway mark, after Michael's hit, when you kind of traverse a little bit, you have his jaunt in Sicily and stuff. I I do feel it it drops a little there. Still a great movie, yeah. but I think yeah, that first scene at the wedding is probably one of the best things ever captured on cinema. Well, one thing that's great about the wedding is that. Like, the wedding itself is not particularly interesting, and that's not our focus remotely. What the film does is spend 25, 30 minutes getting you to know these characters a bit. Let's take Michael, for instance, who turns up to this wedding in a military uniform. So, he's already the oddball. And and that's brilliant just in that one thing, because from memory, I don't even think that they actually talk about his time in the military. That- Costume just establishes him right then and there. It's so quick. It does. You know who he is. He has that brilliant conversation with Kay where he's explaining how they know Johnny Fontaine and the backstory there. And you immediately get a sense of who this guy is without having any of his backstory spoiled or given up. And in a couple of lines, you know what Michael thinks about the rest of his family. When he, the first time we hear, the, the famous offer you can't refuse yeah. is Michael telling this story and it's not a story he's proud of. No. At and, all. And yet he's Italian. Like they love, he still loves his family. He's got that kind of traditional Italian love for his family. When he hears his dad's in hospital, he immediately rushes to find out what's going on. That's right. And he also he makes- a, doesn't consider himself a part of that world. He makes a point to Kay that Hagen is not a Sicilian. Yes. Because that matters to to him and the family. Kay, like, Kay wouldn't care. No. But to Michael, that's still a thing, even though he has very much distanced himself from the family. And he also, like, he deflects from it as well. Like, she's talking to him about something and he's, you know, this thing about, oh, do you, do you like your lasagna? Just because he doesn't want to talk about it. Yeah. At the beginning of the film, Michael very much not up for this. Which is one of the great things about the film and about Michael is that, of course, yes, the movie is about Michael, not about Vito. And the best way to do that, of course, a story about Sonny. Let's say Sonny doesn't get killed. Yeah. A story about Sonny, nowhere near as interesting, of course, than a yeah. story about Michael. To me, the most interesting character in the film is Tom Hagen. Yeah, right. I'm a big Tom Hagen fan. And and I think that's why I felt the back half of the movie kind of dropped off a bit when you left him behind and started following Michael. Michael's great. And Al Pacino, actually, this is going to sound ridiculous. He shocked me. Most Al Pacino I've seen is 21st century Pacino, who is, as we all know, rubbish. <laughs> See, I would argue that, but it's just that the things that Pacino does well in the 21st century are not things that anyone sees. Yeah, that's probably fair. But of course, we also grew up in the 90s with shouty Pacino. <sighs> Yeah, we did. <laughs> ha! Ha! <laughs> it's me, Pacino. <laughs> I do a really good Pacino. It's almost as good as my walking. <laughs> I can't wait to hear you're gone. I'm ha- I've been hanging out for it all week. We'll get there. <laughs> but like, so Pacino actually shocked me. I didn't. I barely recognised him, and he is so handsome, and he is such a great actor. There's a reason. Yes. That Pacino is considered Pacino. <laughs> yeah, and now I finally know what that reason is because I've seen him as shouty Pacino or, you know, Adam Sandler's made Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, he is actually really fucking good in this movie. And I think it's the cast that- I mean, the movie itself is is an exceptional piece of filmmaking. The score, the screenplay, the direction, the cinematography, but the actors in this film excel at even above that. So John John Cazal, who played who plays Fredo, yeah. the the other brother, yeah, who's the worst character in the film and the worst actor in the film. Oh, 
What is wrong with you? Nah. Okay, pop. <laughs> he sounds like the elf. Like, yeah, from, he's completely Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer. Like, but he is a completely dentist, pathetic, pop. useless character. Yeah. And he nails it. This is like, we were talking during the week about how long I didn't like Joaquin Phoenix for. <laughs> yeah. Because I just couldn't let go of him in Gladiator because I hated him so much. Yeah. It took me a while to just be like, oh, actually, it's because Joaquin Phoenix is great. <laughs> yeah. Like Jackie Earl Haley. Yeah, yeah. Because they all did, he, he died quite young of lung cancer. Don't right. smoke, kids. He did five films. He's mostly a theatre actor. He did five films. The Godfather, The Conversation, The Godfather Part Two. Dog Day Afternoon, and The Deer Hunter. Wow. All five were nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. Several of them won. P- people can debate this, but like, I would say the worst film he did is Dog Day Afternoon, which is bloody sensational. <laughs> Imagine if he hadn't died. You just have this whole career. It was like, if you want your film to be an instant classic, you just <laughs> cast Hire this John Cazale. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. So, I had no idea because I just hated that character so much. Yeah, yeah. I all I like Fredo's a complete numpty, but he's me- I like he's meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, James Khan as Sonny though is so good in this movie. I think that like you look at those top four in the cast: Marlon Brando, James Khan, Al Pacino, and Robert Duvall. Just those four alone are so powerful in this film. You could I could almost watch like a bottle version of this film, which just has those four characters in it, and it would be just as entertaining to me. The family, the family sitcom. Yes. <laughs> I would watch that. Honey, I'm home. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny to think that at the time, it's one of those things you look back on and you're like, oh my God, how did they assemble this cast? But of course, at the time, we didn't know that these people were going to become these people. Yeah, exactly. And then you look back and you're like, Jesus, who cast this film? Because- You're good at your job. And I'll get back to stumping for there should be an Oscar for casting. Yeah. And here, here's an example of why. Yes. I think that's totally fair. Getting back to the, like, you know, with him saying he's not a Sicilian, that kind of, that whole character trait of all, well, really all these people. There is this- All the characters. Yeah. And there's this odd sense of decency about them as well at one point. Oh, definitely. The Godfather is a very decent man. Yeah. Like, even even the way that he turns down the world of drugs, for example, or, like, there is a lot of- He's very family-oriented. There is a lot about him that is very, very decent. He just also happens to be a mob boss. (laughs) And they assume that decency, and I think probably rightly, about other people as well. When they're talking about Solozzo, the Turk, they're saying- Someone says that, no, he won't touch Michael. He knows he's a civilian. Yeah. Which is weird. Yeah. (laughs) Like, why would he care? Yeah. That is true. The Turk is a sleazeball, isn't he? Oh, yeah. Another great bit of casting because he's, yeah, he's horrible. Oh, he just seems evil. (laughs) Like, it's so funny that in, in a movie about a crime family, you can still have- an antagonist who is like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. You find yourselves rooting for criminals in this film. For sure. Like, would I actually saw that Michael Corleone came up on a list of the top villains, villains. in film. Now, I haven't seen Godfather 2 and 3. I'm assuming that he goes deeper and deeper into the crime path. Do you see him as a villain, particularly in this first film? This is this was actually going to be my next point, is that as much as for a segment of the film we have 
Salozzo. And of course, we have characters that are referenced more than seen in the Tatalia family. Yeah, and the five families. Exactly. Yeah. Really, there isn't a there isn't a Joker. No, in the movie, the central the the bad guy is actually the life. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. The whole existence is actually what's bad. The Turk, who is the, the bad guy for the first hour and a half of the film, dies after an hour and a half. And then we completely leave that story behind, essentially. And it is interesting and I think brilliant that, yes, when the Turk dies, because Michael kills him, that is, of course, the point of no return for yeah. Michael going from this, this guy who was a war hero and wanted nothing to do with the family. Yeah. Now he's all in. Maybe my favourite scene in the film is when Michael tells them, that he will, he'll do the hit. He'll kill the Turk and the police captain. Yeah, when they're all sitting around and just talking, yeah. I just love the shit out of that scene where Michael's on a chair in the middle of this room and he's just completely still telling them this just totally deadpan and everyone's having a bit of a laugh because, you know, it's, it's little Michael. He doesn't want to be involved in, in the family business and blah, 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 except Tom Hagen. And for the whole, any time we see Tom, he's almost, he looks like he's going to be sick because he knows yeah. straight away that Michael's, Deadly serious. And the way that the scene plays out and Pacino's performance in that scene, I just, damn, it's good. I still think that Tom Hagen is the best character in this film. I think he- He's not a Sicilian. <laughs> he's not a Sicilian. But that is, that's one of the things that I really love about the film and what really shows you, like, it's the same in that opening scene with Luca Brasi, where Luca's, he's, he's known the Godfather a long time. And yet he's sitting there kind of practicing what he's going to say to him. And he's not even going in there to ask a favor. He just wants to basically say, thank you for having me here. I'm honored to be at this wedding. And you're right. This is a guy who's known for decades. For decades. And these people just have such love for the Don, for the Godfather, because he has been so good to them. Like Tom Hagen was a homeless orphan kid who was friends with Sonny. And at age 11, the Godfather's like, Come live with me. I take care of you. <laughs> and and like you understand why to like you understand why he put the horse's head in that bed because he will do anything for the godfather even though he's not a Sicilian. They just love him that much. And it is that's an interesting uh difference between Vito and Michael is that people yeah, people follow Vito out of a stunning amount of loyalty and love. Yeah. By the time Michael has become the Don, you feel much more that it's be, it's going to be this iron-fisted, yeah, right. better yeah. kind of thing. Like, Michael's not going to have that same relationship with people that his dad had. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I really do need to see part two now. Part two's quite good. Well, I've heard- I mean, more people- I, I would say I'm in the minority who thinks that part one is better. Well, I mean, part two is the only sequel to ever win the Best Picture Oscar, so- I probably do need to see it, but I sh now I should wait until we do it as an episode. I can't just go watching it willy-nilly mm. like you did with 12 Angry Men. I'm still furious about that. <laughs> and I mean, it all comes down to being slapped by that cop. <laughs> he just doesn't like being slapped by cops. That That's really what made him turn into a dick. Man, if a cop ever slapped me. Oh, I mean, you're, you're already from the bad part of town, so oh. <laughs> you probably know five families out there that like are- Like the Turk, handy <laughs> with a knife. <laughs> um, but yeah, you, that is, it's certainly even more so in part two, the fact that Michael is increasingly a dreadful human being. Yeah, right. And yes, he is, while he is the central character of The Godfather Part Two. He's he's a he's a bad guy. Yeah, right. Because you you never really think of the Godfather in this film as 
a bad guy. No. Which is interesting. I, I was expecting- I mean, I kind of knew he would be a supporting character, but I was expecting him to be a little bit more of a bad guy. He does very little bad stuff in this film. But, like- the horse's head in the bed, but even then he feels so disconnected from that. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, because for all we know, it was like, all right, Tom, you go off and do what yeah, you, you have do to what do. what you need to he do. He probably wasn't sent off with instructions of, like, dismembering a horse. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like the Don was like, I want you- what I really want for you is some cruelty towards animals. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, the Don's got that kitty at the beginning. Yeah, he, he the, do, the Don's kitty. a friend to animals. I mean, he dies in the most Italian way possible am- amongst the tomatoes. Exactly. <laughs> that is another thing I love about the film. He, his death scene, I think, is great because the Don actually dies at his most human. Yes, at a point where with a child. He yes, he's playing with his grandson Michael's yep. son. He's he's amongst his tomatoes, <laughs> 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 and and like, and he and Michael just just cross. Yeah. Um, I mean, so let's talk about Brando's performance in this film before he just kind of turned into a fat slob. <laughs> uh, what are your thoughts on his his choices for this character? It's hard to argue with him at, at this point. Yeah, definitely. Time. Yeah. I mean, so the studio were ag- against it at first. They were against most of the casting. And so he, he did this character development before he had the role, is my understanding. He went in and did a screen test, filled his mouths with cotton balls, and apparently the reason for that was because he went and read the novel, and in the novel, apparently, it mentions somewhere, vaguely, that the Don had been shot in the neck at one point. So he decided that's where this kind of meek voice would come from and that jawline. So he went in there, filled his mouth with cotton balls, and did the whole, on the day of my daughter's wedding. <laughs> it's really tough to imagine a studio not wanting Brando. Like, yeah, it's not like the Godfather didn't make Brando Brando. He was already Marlon fucking Brando. Yeah. Like, the re- I remember hearing Pacino say that they were all they were all terrified of him. Not because, not because he was scary. It was just the- they would, it was probably more intimidated yeah, and terrified like the because this huge actor. it's Marlon Brando. Yeah. I remember hearing Pacino say that on the set of Ocean's 13, all the other actors had this- And granted, they'd done a couple of films already at this point, but he, he felt he wasn't getting nearly the kind of engagement, probably more so off-camera engagement with the rest of the cast and everything. And he was talking to Soderbergh going, what's this about? And he was like, well, what was it like for you and Duval with Brando? Because- that's you, Al. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You're that big now. Yeah. yeah. Um, but certainly Pacino, they wanted even halfway through shooting, they wanted Pacino recast. Yeah, it I wasn't read that. until, as I understand, the scene where he kills Salazzo and the police captain, where they went, oh, "Okay, this guy might have some talent." And I think he's he's perfect for that role. He he does a great job of that shift. It's almost two different characters, but it's. It is the same character. I mean, obviously. <laughs> obviously, it just sounds stupid. But it because there is such a large chunk of the movie that jumps ahead in time, the first hour and a half is 1945. By the end of the movie, you're in 1956 or whatever, and you see such little in the middle there. It's not like you stand a character progression where you see him kind of gradually slipping into this lifestyle. It kind of happens quite quickly. Yeah. The first we see of him, once he's back in New York- He's he's full on. He's like doing worse than anything you ever he's saw. Basically, the Don he, he's right at that cusp of being the Don. 
Yeah. He's just boom. Yeah, and I mean, right that, that finale is so wonderful. When oh, he, my God. When he lies. Which, speaking of which, how quickly did he forget about Diane Keaton in the middle there? Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> like, but that, that finale when he just- Lies to her point blank. No, I had nothing to do with it. Other guy walks in and is like Don Corleone. That's that's a what of gut punch of an ending. One of my notes is that it is my favourite final shot. Yeah, in film. Full stop. I'd agree with that. The last forty five seconds of this movie are so utterly perfect. There's a lot of this film that is perfect. I think the score is brilliant. Did you know that this was not nominated for best score that year? You're kidding me. Because it was deemed ineligible. So it was initially nominated. When they announced the nominations, this was up. And then there was all this controversy because they discovered that the love theme, which I think is the had been used in a previous film. In an Italian film, the composer had used that piece of score. So- not an original soundtrack, therefore ineligible to be nominated for Best Original Score. So, yeah, that's crazy because this is such a good score and it fits the I mean, yeah, it's one of the more so iconic well. bits oh, of film music. It's so Italian sounding. It's so crimey. It's like <laughs> <laughs> you hear it and you just want to run out. Top of that to, <laughs> yeah. to stereotypes there. <laughs> Look, I'm going to be a stereotype. You hear this this score, you want to run out on the street with a handful of meatballs in one hand and a pistol in the other and just start shooting people up talking like Brando just because the score just evokes that in you. <laughs> um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about something about this film I don't like. Okay, yeah, do it. Because like I said, I don't think it's the best film ever made. So let's see what it is. This will appall people. I'm <laughs> okay. glad no one is here with <laughs> bricks and bats. There's a scene in this movie, and particularly there's one shot in this movie that I would have no issue with Francis Ford Coppola going back and doing a bit of a George Lucas too. Well, adding in some walkie-talkies instead of guns. <laughs> when, I, I, I wouldn't mind Godfather Special Edition for this one moment where Sonny's beating the shit out of his brother-in-law oh, I mean, and swings scene. a punch at him that clearly misses by a foot. It's. I mean, it's not even just that one. I know the punch you're talking if about, Ford but Coppola, that If Ford Coppola scene. wanted to just remaster that so that he actually landed a blow- you know what? I'd be okay because it stands out like dog's balls. And, you know, that particular punch stands out in a scene filled with punches that don't connect. Yeah, there's, even there's before two we, guys that don't know how to stage fight. When you're on the wide shot right at the start, the establishing shot of that fight, my wife turned to me and started laughing and goes, those punches are nowhere near him. <laughs> Definitely not the best. I mean, it's a, it's a great, powerful scene. And what I love about the film is it's it almost plays like an anthology. It's almost like a collection of short stories and- and they're connected by this family. But, like, that whole segment with Connie being, you know, and her husband, that it really has nothing to do with Michael's journey, which is the main plot of the film. Because it was part of the plot to kill Sonny. Yeah. You, to, they needed to plant the seed to enrage to Sonny enough drop, yeah. to do it. So, it does pay off. But you could certainly- You could figure out another way to do that, of course. Yeah. You don't need it. That's the thing. There's a lot of parts. In it. Like, I mean, Michael's entire jaunt in Sicily could be cut. Um but I'm glad it's there. And, and, and certainly that adds with, with, with who you see Michael become at the end of the film, when you see how happy he was there with his first wife until she's murdered. Yes. Which, of course, yeah, and that- alters, which is as big for him. It's as big a 
It's not as focused on, but actually it really is as big a character moment as the killing I actually back in New York. I actually think it's bigger. Because I think the killing in New York obviously was the, the start in some ways, but he was not- he, he was still not turned yet. He was quite happy off living in Sicily. For sure. Cold-blooded Michael yeah. comes from the murder of his wife. Definitely. Um, Great-looking film, I mean, Godfather. I remember hearing- I remember once hearing another cinematographer refer to Gordon Willis as the Prince of Darkness. Particularly, I think, early on in my career in lighting, the default is, well, is put more light on it. Yeah. If you can err one way, keep- lighting whereas gordon willis is just like he's more my style (laughs) (laughs) if i can make out a nose and an eye and tell that there's a person in that frame somewhere i'm done (laughs) well no that's always been more my style is i much comparing yourself to gordon willis (laughs) comparing myself um i famously don't take lights anywhere i know i'm always telling you you don't need a light that (laughs) There are some things that you should probably chuck a light on. <laughs> this is why you're a pro. <laughs> but I I do very much prefer the look of, of natural lighting. Even, f- like, fake natural lighting, definitely. You which get is it, really hard to do. Which is really hard to do. And that's why people, I think, tend to go with the whole- chuck as many lights on as you can, just wash it, stage lighting stage effectively. Lighting. But The Godfather really is a, a masterpiece in lighting in, in that looks very, very natural. And you're right, it's the hardest kind of lighting to do. This is another great example. We've spoken about older cinematography at times, and this is another classic example of not really taking things too far. A lot of times the, the camera work itself is very simple in the film. There's, you know, there's a lot of just- Locked off cameras, people talking, not a lot of movement, not a lot of fancy angles, but the shot motivation and the editing is so well done in the film. And yet mid-shoot, not only did the studio want to fire Pacino, <laughs> they wanted to fire Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, I heard, I heard that. <laughs> yeah. But it is just like that opening shot and opening ah. scene where you start at the wedding and it's it's not even Brando's face that you see first. It's this other guy asking him for a favour and you start tied in on his face. And it, it almost looks like he's on a blacked out stage and it's just this face in a spotlight as it slowly- And it doesn't even reveal anything. You then cut away to the Godfather, but that first shot is just him in darkness, and it's so good. What's great about- So, the first line in the film that this guy says, this undertaker who is a guest at the wedding, the first line of the film is, I believe in America. Yeah. And how it's such an open thing to say, because on face value, it's this really hopeful statement. And And it is what he's saying. Until- then you get into what he wants from the Godfather, yeah, and is what he believes about America that that this vengeance that he wants is just possible, yeah, or is it just something he's saying that he thinks will please the Godfather? It's such an open opening statement of a film. It's and then of course m- much has been said about the opening shot then of the Godfather seconds later with this really toppy lighting, which. Like, technically, it's a horrible way to light. You would never do it to try and make someone look good. But, of course, it gives you these wells of darkness yeah. on Brando's face. that Which has become the iconic shot. You from know, shot one, yeah. we aren't quite sure who the Don is. Yeah. 
And you see it all. Like, if you see Brando as the Godfather illustrated on a T-shirt, for example- That's it's, the shot. It's that shot. So, this was- Like, it wasn't Francis Ford Coppola's first film, but it was certainly what announced Francis Ford Coppola as a director. And yet, from mem- I don't even think this was his first nominated film. So, he'd previously- um, written the film Patton, which he'd earned the Academy Award for screenwriting for. He did. I didn't know that. And, uh, yeah, so The Godfather was really what cemented him as a director. But, I mean, so Patton was two years earlier and he directed Rain People in 69. Mm. So, And then it begins this run in the 70s, which is The Godfather. And then in the same year, The Conversation, which some people think is the best film of the 70s, Mm. and The Godfather Part 2 come out. And then he- Closes out the seventies with Apocalypse Now. Yeah, it is that that run in the seventies. That's ridiculous. That is off the chart. And then it's really weird that from that point, from Apocalypse Now onwards, Francis like Francis Ford Coppola did not vanish into the night. No, but he still has a huge filmography. But it doesn't feel like it. If if you asked someone, you know, name five films Francis Ford Coppola directed, I think it would take them a while. I mean, he has to be one of the. One of the most well-known directors with um, with the least amount of well-known films, I'd say. And then he, then he started chucking Sofia Coppola in them as well. She's in The Godfather, you know? She's in part three. She's in oh, part she's one in and part two one as well. Part, yeah. She's in part she's one and part three. She's a baby in this one. Yep. <laughs> if you ever see The Godfather part three, you've got her acting to look forward to, which makes you really glad she became a director. Because <laughs> I rate Sofia Coppola, the director, and The Godfather part three is all the evidence you need that she made the right choice. <laughs> I mean, is it is it worth watching though? I'm I'm obviously going to watch part two. Look, I have a higher opinion of three than most people, which is not to say it's great. I mean, it was still critically acclaimed. It's just it not, was not. Yeah, it was it's just it, not like, well received as the first. Two. It was nominated for best picture. Yeah. Um, Godfather Part Three. Look, for me, is a good film. What people hate about it is that it's nothing. It's absolutely nothing on one and two. And did we need it? No, it doesn't give you enough to be like, look, that wasn't as good as the others, but at least it gave me this. So it's n- it's not like it's a great continuation of the story. No, especially with the like semi incesty stuff. Oh, okay, didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> and not like in Game of Thrones where you're like, I don't care that she's your aunt. <laughs> <laughs> so I've kind of a, I came to absolutely love The Godfather in a slightly roundabout kind of way, because I first saw it at a guess, I'd say I was 19 when I first saw The Godfather. And of course, it's this film that like you're meant yeah, to I mean, love it, of we, course. We spoke about this when we uh, did Casablanca, yep. and you said that you had seen that pretty much because you knew it was something that you were supposed to have seen. Yeah. Was this much the same? Like, did you kind of watch this just because you were like, I want to do film? I, sh- I, I probably the saw Godfather. The Godfather and Casablanca within months of each other. Yeah, yeah right. When I, was, when I was kind of checking off movies. Yeah. And I instantly really liked The Godfather, and then in my youthful douchebaggery- for some time represented that I loved The Godfather. Right. And it wasn't till maybe a fourth viewing or something that I was like, holy shit, I can stop faking it. Yeah. 
I yep. love this film. Do you think that part of that was you talking yourself into it? <laughs> you know, like you say a lie long enough, it becomes true. It might be. It might be. I mean, we've all done that. There are so many movies that people think I think are the bee's knees. I haven't even seen them. <laughs> Have I mentioned to you that I am in terrific shape? Yeah. I mean, much like The Godfather. Most people would tell you I love The Godfather. Saw it last night for the first time. <laughs> Luckily enough, I, I don't have to lie anymore. <laughs> So, so what are you scoring this then? I am. I couldn't be a harder ten. When, I, pe- when people say to me, whenever people are like, "Man, you're rough on on your ratings," because I'll say like a film that I really, really liked is an eight out of ten. Yeah. And at, honestly, my standard comeback is: look, it's fantastic, but if The Godfather's a ten, yeah, <laughs> then this is yeah. not. Yeah, The Godfather's one of the easiest ten out of tens I've had to score something. Yeah. Interestingly, for me. I I was a, I was a guaranteed ten out of ten lock that first hour and a half, which I watched intermittently, and then even when I rewatched that first hour and a half, I was like, "This is hands down a 10. As I said, as the movie goes on, I do like it a little bit less and less. There are a few things I think there are some story bumps. I I don't like Michael as a character. I would have rather we follow Tom Hagen. <laughs> so for me, it's a it's a nine, and it's a very there the elements of filmmaking are so good. The acting, the cinematography, the score, the direction, the screenplay, so much of it works time and time again. I, I just don't think it is a perfect 10, but it's bloody close. We don't have a 20 between us yet, do we? Yes, you're right. Our closest is Space Odyssey, which was also a 19. Right. Same same exact scores. You were 10, me a 9. See, and people think I'm the hard marker. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> Next time people say I mark too easy, you can say, well- Godfather, yeah, Billy thinks that Godfather and Space Odyssey aren't even tense. (laughs) John Carter, on the other hand, (laughs) masterpiece. Um, Well, I'm very glad that you enjoyed the film. Yeah, I'm really glad that I finally watched. I look forward to you checking out part two, whether you're team team one or team two. I mean, we'll do it sometime next year. Surely, we'll do it. Just next next time you've got a spare seven hours. (laughs) But what are we doing? uh, What are we doing next week? Uh, Next week, it's. It's Christmas time at, here at We Watched a Thing. Yes, it is. Last year, I picked the Christmas movie, which was the greatest Christmas movie ever, Die Hard. Well, you're only saying that because you haven't seen this year's yet. Look, that's a good point. Because this I year- I could change my mind. This year is the Ben Affleck, Charlize Theron classic, Reindeer Games. Woof. One of the <laughs> best action Christmas movies ever made. One of the best action movies ever made. One of the best Christmas movies ever made. One of the best Affleck movies ever made. You're convincing no one. It is so good. You're going to love it. We're actually watching it tonight, aren't we? We are. We're, we're, we're like hours away. <laughs> you and your other half have brought over a nice little roast pork, which is going to be fun. We're going to have a little- lovely dinner and then a shocking movie. <laughs> a lovely movie. Nice little Christmas get together. I can't um, wait. It's going to be fun. And if anyone's asking, where's Beth again? Uh, She's let's just over. Let's just throw her <laughs> under the bus here. Yeah. We tried. We tried. She was meant to be here right now. Called in pissed. <laughs> she was like, nah, I'm too dusty from last. Can you imagine if every time I'd been drinking oh, the night before I didn't do this, Billy? Please. We'd ne- we wouldn't have a show. Yeah. <laughs> early today, when, when she messaged us early today, she was like, nah, nah, I, ju- I, just, I just can't. Did she have a Christmas function last something. night? Something. She had something. Like, Beth's actually not a big drinker, so there must have been something on. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, no. I was like- and I was like, I didn't even drink last night. Then I was like, well, I didn't properly drink last <laughs> night. <laughs> Few cheeky beers. <laughs> you weren't punching walls, though. <laughs> By the time we got home from dinner where we had been drinking, we only opened one bottle yep. of wine. So, okay. pretty measured stuff. <laughs> 
you animal. <laughs> All right. Well, Christmas. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me too. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchthething.com or wewatchthething at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchthething. And if you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com forward slash wewatchthething. And in the meantime, go watch a movie. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Catches. Catches.